Well, good morning and welcome to another episode of the Unshakable Podcast. My name is Sam and I am your podcast host. The Unshakable Podcast is an extension of Unshakable Ministries where our goal is to educate, equip, encourage, and empower Christ followers to live the life that Christ expects us to live. Ways that you can find us on social media, if you will go over to Facebook and search Unshakable Podcast, you will find us there. On Instagram, our username is unshakable underscore podcast. And on Twitter, our username is unshakable underscore one, and that is the numerical value one. Ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation, if you are listening this morning, let me be the first to welcome you to the Unshakable Nation. Other ways that you can become a part of the Unshakable Nation, if you will just peruse through the website, you will see other ways that you can join us in our fight, in our ministry to continue spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. As always, we want to continue to thank those who are giving in support of the show. We are so thankful for you that God has led you to this ministry and to help support us in our endeavors. If you're looking for a way that you can give to the show, if you will just look there in your member profile on the website or on the homepage of the website, you will see links to ways that you can give to support the show. As always, we ask that you first prayerfully consider this. And if you feel like that God is leading you to give in support of this ministry, then by all means do so. But it is not expected and it is not our primary means and source of income. Uh, as I've mentioned before here on the podcast, I do work a full-time job and I use my funds to continue to support this ministry as I feel this is what God has led me to do. So understand that it is not expected. We will never do a fundraising drive to uh, attempt to get money. We just simply ask that if you are in consideration of this, that you prayerfully consider it and do as God is leading you to do. Give where God is leading you to give. And the most important way, I always share this during every episode, the most important way that you can become a part of the unshakable nation is through your prayers. We ask that you just continue to lift us up in prayer, praying that we would be sensitive to what God is doing, joining Him where He is already at work, impacting the world one life at a time with the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples of all nations. Well, guys, can you believe that it is already November? It is November the 5th, 2021. The holidays are quickly coming upon us. I mean, we are literally three weeks out from Thanksgiving. This is just crazy how quickly this year has flown by. I have already started my yard decorations for Christmas for the light show that I do every year. Yes, I start on November the 1st every year. It takes about three and a half weeks to get set up and we launch the show on the Friday after Thanksgiving. I have neighbors that drop by once in a while and say, can we not just wait until Thanksgiving is over? Of course, if I did that, the lights would not be up in time for Christmas. So I do start early uh, to be able to put this light show on every year. Uh, again, we try to use every opportunity as an outreach, and this show is that as well. We do try to use this as an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, reaching as many people as we can through this. And, you know, as we start this morning, the term that, that I threw out a couple of weeks ago uh, was Christian dominionism. 
And last week I dove into, you know, really just looking at the surface level of what Christian dominionism is. And I, I told you that I really wanted to dig into this on a deeper level and looking at it because, you know, if you heard the term for the first time a couple of weeks ago and then last week you heard me really talking about Christian dominionism, you might have Googled Christian dominionism and and read a little bit about it and maybe you said, hey, you know what, that's not me. I don't I, I don't follow Christian dominionism. But the truth of it is, is Christian dominionism is much deeper than just uh, the the seven mountain mandate or pillars that we will get into. Um, it, you know, other terms that have been used to coin Christian dominionism are statism, nationalism. Uh, these are all terms that are used to describe Christian dominionist. And I really want to dig into this from a biblical perspective so that we can get a better understanding and know some of the signs of Christian dominionism. And as we dig into this, I want you to bear with me because I I am a recovered Christian dominionist. Though I didn't follow all of the principles behind Christian dominionism, I followed many of them. And and as I read through them and as I researched these, you know, after I recovered from this theology, it really was telling to me uh, about the origin of this theology and where it comes from and how prominent it is today in the church. And, And when I say the church, I am referring to across the board, the church in this country. And in many different denominations, how prevalent this theology really is. And though they don't teach this theology with full detail, many aspects of this theology are taught in in the church. And, you know, there are so many different people out there that you, you would ask yourselves, well, you know, who are some Christian dominionists out there? Who are some people who truly believe this theology? And you would be surprised if I were to sit and read some of these quotes, you would you would be blown away by some of these quotes from some of these prominent leaders in Christian dominionism. And, you know, I, I didn't throw any out last week or the week before, but, you know, just to throw out some names of Christian dominionists and how prevalent they really are is, you know, one is Rick Perry, uh, Michelle Bachman, uh, Sarah Palin, um, the the list goes on, and there are, you know, it's not just in the political arena that they are there. They're they're um, in the Senate. There are Christian dominionists in Congress. There are Christian dominionists in the church. You know, prominent faith leaders that are Christian dominionists as well. And it's really crazy how, as I said, how prominent this theology really is across the board in the church, and how many Christians actually believe this theology and believe that it is something that we should follow. And again, as I said, though you don't follow every single aspect or detail of dominion theology, doesn't mean you aren't a Christian dominionist. 
And that is what is scary is because, you know, as I mentioned last week, there, there are two different types of Christian dominionists. There are the soft dominionists, and these are more of the ones who believe that you can make a change by being politically active. And then there are those who, who are hardcore Christian dominionists who follow the seven mountain mandate to a T. Um, and I want to really dig into this so that we can get a better understanding on a deeper level of what this theology is and why it is a false theology. And we have to understand that this theology only works if the active participants believe their battle is a physical battle. And that is a physical battle against flesh and blood. Because in order to follow this theology, you have to believe that you can make a difference through physical action. And what I mean by through physical action is by being politically involved or involved in certain areas of this Christian dominionist theology. And we're going to dig into those, and and I don't want to dig into them right yet, but we're going to dig into those seven pillars and understanding what this belief is. But it, it only works if the active participants believe in their heart of hearts that their battle is against flesh and blood. You know, we talked about this through the political season you know, last year during the election is, you know, it, it this Christian dominionist mentality comes down to Republican versus Democrat, conservative versus liberal. You know, it's us versus them. And this is a flesh and blood mentality instead of recognizing the fact that we are not in a fight against flesh and blood, but we are in a fight against powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. If you go and you read in in Ephesians, you will begin to see this and understand this, that we do not battle against flesh and blood. So this theology only works if you believe that your battle is physical. It is against flesh and blood. So how can Christians follow a theology that is contradictory to Scripture? So we call ourselves Christ followers, yet we follow a theology that is contradictory to what Scripture actually reads. Now understand, this is what we've we've been talking about as we go through this series. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about examining yourselves and really digging into what that means from a scriptural context. And I find myself sitting here, you know, as a recovered Christian dominionist, asking myself how I truly could follow a theology that was contradictory to Scripture. And it all starts in the church. When Christian pastors and teachers are in fact teaching that Christians have a moral and civic responsibility to be politically active, it makes it easier to believe. The Scriptures are then interpreted and applied through a man and gain their context based on emotion rather than truth. I mean, ask yourself that question is, do you truly pick up the Bible and study what it means in the context that it was written, or do you trust the words of a man behind a pulpit to tell you what your moral obligations are, what your godly obligations are? Do you trust that man, or do you pick up the Bible and read and study and trust the Bible more than you trust the man? Because here's what I know according to Scripture, is we were never called to rule society or have dominion over other people 
establishing a rule of law based on Christianity. Again, this goes back to that myth of a Christian nation. If you've never read that book, I encourage you to pick up a copy of that book by Greg Boyd and read it. It's the, the title of it is Myth of a Christian Nation. It is this thought process that somehow the United States was founded as a Christian nation. And you, you can't believe this if you understand the historical context of our nation and the founding of our nation. Our nation wasn't founded as a Christian nation, and we we talked about this. You know, the, the, the fact that the United States instituted some basic human morals into the laws of our nation does not therefore equate to being a Christian nation. Though many want to state that it was founded as a Christian nation and that our forefathers were Christians. But what they totally miss is historically, some of our forefathers were Christians. Some were deists. Some were atheists. So to live based on this thought process that we were founded as a Christian nation, it's it's a false foundation. We were not. The, the United States of America was not founded as a Christian nation. But a Christian dominionist believes that it was and has seen the moral decay of this nation, and now they somehow believe that they have to step in and they have to get this country to return back to God. And they do this through political clout by voting for people they believe follow Christian principles in order to establish a rule of law based on Christianity. And I know the question has been asked, and you know, then why does our money have in God we trust on it? You do realize that that wasn't always printed on our money. You do realize historically that that was something that just happened in the 1900s. That wasn't something that was established in the very beginning. In God we trust. And and I want us to understand that, that we were never called to rule other human beings through rule of law based on Christian principles. That was not the role of the church or individual Christians. The Christian dominionism operates on the basis, you know, again, that America was founded as a Christian nation and by default should be run by Christian theocrats. We could probably, you know, again, we could probably all agree that this country was founded on basic human morals, that all men were created equally and should be treated equally, but this in no way implies Christianity. The problem is that a majority of professed Christians believe in their own lives being a good person, quote unquote, equates to faith in Christ and guarantees their eternal salvation. But again, to believe this, you must ignore the most basic doctrines of Scripture. Something that is easy to do when you don't study the Scripture for yourself. It is easy to miss some of the most basic principles of the Christian faith when you yourself are not studying the Scriptures. 
when you are trusting another man to be the one who interprets the Scripture for you and teach the Scripture to you, then it is very easy to sway you or twist the word up and make you believe something that is completely false because you don't study to show yourself approved. You don't pick it up and study the actual context in the way that it was written originally. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, and I want to read this this morning so that we can get an understanding. As I said, the problem is a majority of professed believers believe in their own lives, quote, being a good person, end quote, equates to faith in Christ and guarantees their eternal salvation. It is this mindset that I can do all of the right things and have the appearance of being a Christian and be okay. But listen to this. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 say this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, when we read this right here, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There are so many people in this world today who profess Jesus as Lord. Because there's been this misrepresentation that all you have to do is believe and you shall be saved. But what they don't understand is true salvation. True salvation in Christ comes through repentance. And repentance brings about change. There's conviction in the life of a person who truly believes Christ to be Lord. And and to believe Christ to be Lord the way that we are called to believe, it's not just a simple, hey, I believe Jesus is Lord. Because here's what you have to understand, what James chapter 2 tells us, is that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But there is no salvation for them. That's that demonic belief. You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but unless you allow that belief to truly change you who you are and you begin to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and allow Him to truly be the Lord of your life, then you're not a follower of Christ. Because Jesus says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. You see, there's that belief, that belief that leads you to do the will of my Father. What is the will? It's the Greek word 2307, which means the eternal purpose of my Father. Those are the ones who will get into heaven, are the ones who have committed themselves to do the will of the Father who is in heaven. It's not simply professing Jesus as Lord and then continuing to live life without conviction. No, it is a belief that leads to conviction, and that conviction then leads to change in your life. 
It's putting off the old and putting on the new. It is being crucified with Christ and no longer living life the way you want to live life, but allowing Christ to live life through you. This is the belief that leads to salvation. But we see that in these verses, this is a warning that should lead us to examine ourselves. To see if we are even in the faith. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. How we can examine ourselves and what we are to examine ourselves up against. It's a warning that tells us just because we have the outward appearance of Christianity, that this does not equate to a relationship with Christ. Going to church every Sunday and singing the songs that are sung, putting the bumper stickers on your car, these do not equate to a relationship with Christ. Yet we find ourselves in our minds assuming that these things do equate to that relationship. How can we be sure that in all of this that dominionism is a false theology? Well, I think if we go to, number one, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7-12, through 12, we see that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Now, what, what does Jesus say right here? He says, Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What, what does lawlessness mean in the Greek? Lawlessness is, it comes from the Greek word 458, which means defection from the faith. And it says it's already at work. That word work comes from the Greek word 1754, which means active and efficient. So dominion theology assumes that we can control this world through political clout through the education system, through arts and entertainment, through the media. These are all parts of the seven pillars, the seven mountain mandate. And Christian dominionism believes that we can and should control these areas as as Christ followers. But what we understand is what Scripture really teaches is that the, the mystery of lawlessness, the defection from the faith, is already at work. And there's nothing that we can do to control it. Why? Sam, how do you know that? Because number two, we learn from 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And if the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, it's under his authority. And this is scriptural evidence that the entire world is under rule of darkness, influenced by Satan. It it goes to show that we as Christ followers, as, as Christians, that we can never have dominion over this world as it is right now. This is all part of what God foresaw before he ever created the world. He knew exactly how things were going to go, which is exactly why he established a plan of salvation through Christ. This world is a fallen world. We cannot change what is going on in this world with political clout through the education system, through arts and entertainment. We each have, as Christ followers, an individual ministry, an individual eternal 
purpose, the will of the Father. And that individual eternal purpose is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those people that we come in contact with in our lives. You cannot change society by force and coercion, by rule of law. You can't change it that way. The point of us, uh, of the Great Commission and of us going forward and sharing the gospel and making disciples of all the nations is because the change comes in the heart. It doesn't come through mandates and rule of law. Unless the person's heart is changed, the moral decay of society will continue. And we already know that the mystery of lawlessness is at work. It is active and efficient and doing exactly what it's going to do which means you can't change it by rule of law. You can't change it by mandate. You can't change it by force and coercion. And then if we read in 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to read all of this, but we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to start at verse 14 and read through chapter 7, verses, verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? There's that word lawlessness again, defection from the faith. Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and will walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness? This world is lawless. So what partnership does righteousness have with that? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? We have created idols of the things in this world. We have set our minds on the things of this world when Scripture clearly tells us to set our minds on the things above. And I don't want to get ahead of myself in this because I want to break this down so that we have a clear understanding and not just give too much information at this point, but we're going to dig into that mentality and that thought process. But 2 Corinthians 6 verse 17 says this, it says, Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And to go out from their midst and be separate from them is to create a boundary. To be separate comes from the Greek word 873, and it means to create a boundary and exclude oneself. It means to set a limit, to draw a line in the sand. And to say that I will stay in my lane. What is our lane? The will of the Father. Our eternal purpose. What God has actually called us to do. And to do it in the manner He has called us to do it in. Which is through the love and gospel of Jesus Christ. 
So what fellowship does light have with darkness and what can we learn from this? And in light of 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, we now begin to see that this world is under the power of darkness and has been since the fall, and we are not to have fellowship with it. Now, that doesn't mean that we aren't in the world. It means that we are not of the world. And we know what Scripture says about that in John Chapter 17, verses 14 through 16, it says this. It says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And that's first, that's John 15, 19. There, and then we get into John 17, 14 through 16. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of this world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see what Jesus is doing here, what he is praying over them, and what he is saying to the disciples? If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, the world hates you. You see, a true Christ follower, I will tell you right now, one of the signs of a true Christ follower is, how does the world feel about them? Does the world love them or does the world hate them? Because I can tell you this, what I've experienced over the last year in some of the information that I've shared, I've experienced some hatred I've experienced people who I used to have decent relationships with who have now completely discounted me. They no longer like me. Or they no longer want to hear what I have to say. They have deleted me from their lives. And that's okay. That, that's completely fine. My prayer is that at some point the seed that was planted will take root. And God will water that and God will nurture that in them through the Holy Spirit and that they will come to a life-changing knowledge of who God really is and what God really expects of us. I know I had to go through that process. I had to go through that change. I am by no means a perfect man and I've shared that on this podcast before. Lord knows I have so much in my life that I have to continually confess and continually work to change in my life, to continually examine myself, as we all do. I don't ever want anyone to think that I'm coming from a perspective of self-righteousness, but I'm coming from a perspective of truth and concern and love because I have been a victim of the theology that has been taught in the churches for so many decades, and I have followed those theologies up to a point where God has opened doors for me to understand. God has brought conviction into my life, and I continue to pray that as I share the truth, that people will truly understand that the truth that I share is not because of disdain. It is because of love and concern. It is because of Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. 
I don't want anyone to ever have to hear the words from Christ, depart from me. I never knew you, especially those who are currently professing him as Lord. I want people to understand the truth behind the gospel, the truth behind what God expects from us, the truth behind the change that should come by professing Christ as Lord. Here's a question. If even Jesus knows this world was controlled and is controlled by Satan and would be until his triumphant return, How do we profess to be his followers and ignore this information? How do we somehow infer having a moral obligation to this world? When Jesus says they are in the world, he is referring to location. When he says not of this world, he is referring to point of view. Our point of view is not of this world. Father God, I love you, God, and I I just thank you for who you are and the way that you continue to work in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just continue to influence our hearts, open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and just open our hearts to understand the truth, to understand the true will of the Father. That we would get busy in our eternal purpose. That we would take our eyes and our minds off of this world and recognize that we are only in this world for a purpose, for a season. That we are not called to govern and dominate this world from a Christian perspective. We are only called to rule our own lives from a godly perspective and use that to influence other individual lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as these words are shared, that as the truth is shared, that people would understand that I am sharing in love and in concern and from a place of a broken heart to see, Father, to see lives restored and to see lives reconciled to you through the truth of the Scripture. God, I am praying that you would give those who are hearing these words a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for your word, a hunger and a thirst to study and to understand. And I pray that they would do this with vigor, God, with zeal, with passion when they pick it up, that it would be something, God, that they could not put down, that they would be hooked on your word, the inspired truth. And that first it would change them. And when it changes them, that it would in effect change those they come in contact with. Because the word begins to take life only when we truly understand it. It is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to even bone and marrow, revealing the intent of the heart. 
Let us come closer to you. Let us be who you want us to be. And God, we pray that through your truth as it is revealed and understood, that it would make us unshakable. God, we give you the glory, you the honor, and you the praise in Christ's name. Hey guys, I love you. And as always, until next time, remain unshakable.